I've titled our conversation this morning, Living Life to the Fullest. You know, I had a very interesting, well, I better read this passage because this is how I begin and I end up going nowhere in my sermon. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and on. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. What a reality, amen? We're talking about real things this morning. I just mentioned to you how important it is for us to realize the reality that our God reigns. And listen to what this says. Our Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, his divine power has given us everything. Everybody say everything. Has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. How does everything we need come to us? Through knowing him, amen? Through knowing who he is. Not through what you possess materially, not through education, not through anything, but everything a man receives. The Bible says we can receive absolutely nothing unless it be given to us by God. But what we receive in the goodness of God comes through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great precious promises. You see how illustrative and how building this conversation is and this expression is of the apostle. The words he uses a very great and, and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. Now here's the key. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. That means that you don't just receive it and stay there. You're always cultivating and growing and blossoming more and more in these attributes. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll stop you from being ignorant of who God is. We talked about our country. We live the lives of fools in this country. Many do. Even though, like I said, we can split an atom or dissect a cell. But yet, we live the life of fools in this country. Many do. Because we've lost our knowledge of God. I'm productive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted. 
and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Now he's talking about those of us who have received Christ and walk away from this knowledge. When we normally speak about, we speak about backsliding. We speak about walking out from God. This is what happens when you see someone who's not living his life for Christ anymore. How did that happen? Well, he got involved in this drinking thing or he got involved with it. No, no, no. All that happened is he lost his knowledge of God and he lost a grip of these characteristics, of these things that he is supposed to emulate when it comes to God. And has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. I want you to listen. Say with me, never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Put your hand over your heart. Father, speak to me this morning. My heart is attentive. My ears are sharpened to listen to your voice, Father. Let nothing in my mind come to interrupt your truth this morning. These things I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I was going to say before I read this passage that I had a conversation with someone just a few, I don't know, days, maybe a week ago. And we were speaking about the subject of eternal security. Once saved, always saved. Anybody ever heard that term? There are some circles, some denominations, obviously, that speak and continue to preach on that particular eternal security. Once saved, always saved. Now, I want you to clearly understand, I pray that the Lord clear your ears to what I'm going to say, because I am not a once saved, always saved guy, according to the terms by which it is applied today. But I will show you this morning that there is such a thing as eternal security in Scripture, and there is a once saved, always saved position in Scripture. Listen carefully. I don't want you to walk away and say, Pastor, now is a once saved, always saved guy. I'm not, but according to him, I am. What the world and some confused religionists in the world speak and have a group of people sitting in front of their pews, or in front of their pulpits, rather, in the pews, Helping them to believe that all you have to do is come and pray a simple prayer and say, Lord, be Lord of my life. Amen. Go out and live like the devil. Go out and do nothing else if it was some kind of means to an end. Anybody want to receive Jesus? Yes, come to the altar and everybody comes. Oh, we had a wonderful group of salvation. 50 people. We've had here in the church 25, 30 people get saved at one time. We've had one person be saved And some circles of faith and denomination will teach you that once you say that, then you're in. You're in the house. You're signed, sealed, and delivered. All you have to do is wait for the appointed time for Christ. And whatever you declare that day is done. Doesn't matter because everything is paid for already. You see, I don't believe in that kind of eternal security. You have to wipe away too much scripture. You would have to erase too much scripture to believe that. You would have to ignore so much. That I won't have time to give you because it will take this afternoon before I cover the passages that will show you that there is no such thing as eternal security when it comes to that particular teaching. 
And so therefore today you have a whole bunch of half-baked people that call themselves Christians filling our bars and all these places and smoking and doing all these things, being vulgar and living lives as heathens do. And yet, hallelujah, on Sunday, praise the Lord. Isn't the Lord so good? And the pastor's okay because the money's coming in, the tithings are coming in, the offerings are coming in. You've got 30 people on the pulpit who have done clubs Saturday night and doing worship on Sunday morning. But that's okay because they said yes to Jesus. That's a lie of the devil. So I'm not an eternal security, once saved, always saved individual. Don't you ever believe that? But I do believe in eternal security according to Scripture. And I've just read you the Scripture that proves such a thing. Verse 10 of the same verse. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what that says right there? It says you can be saved once and saved forever. There is such a thing as eternal security. But it's not as like it's preached in many places. Because in order for you to get there, you have to read the context of this passage and begin again at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And here in this passage, we have a list of criterias, things that we are called to emulate, things that we are called to apply to our lives if we want to be saved today and be saved tomorrow and be saved forever. He goes on to tell us, great warning. If you do these things, there's great promises with it. There's no excuse because the Bible we've just read, he's given us everything we need for this kind of life. So this whole I can't do it is something made up by us. It's basically saying I won't do it. I can't live a life of godliness. You're denying the truth of God in your life and you're setting yourself up for the lie. It's your unwillingness. To pursue this life of holiness. I just can't, Pastor. I try. I can't. It's our refusal to move away from that line where you can slip off at any time. Because we've been given everything to live lives in holiness in the Lord. He called us, the Bible says, by His own glory in goodness. He's given us knowledge of Him. And he gives us a list in verse 5 and on, saying to us at verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that means you have to work on it every day. You have to cultivate it every day. If it's goodness that God wants you to embrace, then you need to work on goodness every day. If it's love, you have trouble loving, you have to work on loving every day. To nourish it, increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Now, we may apply that to you may be unproductive at the workplace. You may be unproductive in your business. You may be unproductive in your education and all these things. It might apply, but that's not what the Bible says. You'll be unproductive in your knowledge of God. 
that tells me that unless you possess these things, you don't know God. Your knowledge of Him is minimal. It's elementary. If you're living a Christian life, but yet your heart is full of hate, you're not proving your knowledge of God. If you're living your life and you lack virtue, and I'm going to explain all these things as we go through this short series that I've put together for you. But you see, you see the, the, the Bible is very self-explanatory, very simple, very elementary. The Bible says it makes the simple understand. I don't have to go through, through a, 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 a whole book of synonyms to express to you what this means. I love that mural that you see sometimes in the, high, in the highway where it says, Thou shall not. What part of this don't you understand? Right? I mean, what do you mean? Isn't that silly? You tell your child, don't do that. Like, what do you mean? Really? What they're saying is, how much can I do without really getting in trouble? Thou shalt not. What part of this don't you understand? And this is what we've done with the scripture. Well, I don't know. Does it mean that? Does it mean that? And all it is is our unwillingness. We want to stay so close to the fire. I know I've given you this illustration before, but, and it makes you laugh, but there's really a, a really important principle we need to understand. Everybody knows a nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty. You've heard this from me before. Everybody knows that nursery rhyme. Humpty Dumpty. Sat on the wall. Say it. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. Yay. Have you ever asked yourself what that dumb egg was doing at the edge of the fence? Have you ever asked yourself what that ignorant egg thought he was going to get away with by walking on that fence? That's what Christians do today. That's what people who don't want to commit to God do today. They're walking on the fence. Oh, oh, I'm okay. Oh, 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 oh. I'm okay. Because you want to stay in that place. It's a guarantee, my friend, that you will fall. And something even more fearful is that in that nursery rhyme, there's a serious biblical teaching. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. You know, there's a time when God can't restore you anymore. The Bible says that to him who knows what is right and does it to him, it is sin. The Bible says that those who stomp on the blood of Christ, those who sin continuously over, there is no more sacrifice for them. That's ugly. Those words aren't too popular on the pulpit because, hi, pastor, that's... They're tough, but they're real. And they were given to us because it's the word of God. It'll save your life. 
It's so important for us to understand these things. And so we have a list here this morning of things that we're going to go through. Maybe not today, but we're going to go through these things that we have to emulate. We need to embrace and we need to continually work on in order for us to live a life of eternal security. Somebody asks you, does your church believe in once saved, always saved? You say yes if you're saved. Yes if you're saved. But if you're half baked, no. Because if the angels of heaven didn't escape the judgment of the Lord, how much of a chance do you think you and I have? The Bible said that on that day the Lord will come to judge and give each man his reward accordingly. Is that one saved, always saved? The Bible tells us in the book of prophets that when a righteous man repents, he comes to the Lord in repentance, the Lord forgives him. But the Bible says that there's a righteous man who once again sins, his salvation won't save him. This is why every walk, every step of our walk with God is supposed to be from glory to glory. It's supposed to be continually nurturing. This is why we're told in the book of Solomon that it's kind of like the morning dew. It's misty in the morning and it's kind of cloudy. But as the sun rises, it becomes clear as day. That's how our walk with God should be. Always on the brighter side. Always. You're supposed to more and more. If you revealed you were a Christian when you got saved 20 years ago, you should really radiate Christ today. But if we can agree today, myself included, sometimes it becomes opaque. Oh, I've been in the Lord for 50 years now. Really, I didn't know. I don't know. I've been in the Lord longer you've been alive, Pastor. Really? I wouldn't have known unless you told me. Because I certainly can't see it. We should radiate Christ. As I was speaking to you this morning during time of worship, let us fall in love and let our countenance in on it so that people can see a face that is in love with Christ, that they can identify even the Apostle Peter in his time of struggling, people knew he had been with Christ. He was so saturated with Christ that when he tried to mingle with sinners, they knew automatically. He was trying to fit in with the crowd. He was trying to backslide. He couldn't even backslide properly. The more he tried to get in, they smelled him. You smell like Jesus, man. You look like Jesus. You walk like him. You talk like him. You don't belong in this circle. No, I don't know him. And as horrible as it went for Peter that day, still it reveals something. You see, you're supposed to reveal Christ in your life. This is why we are told to clothe ourselves in Christ. Clothe ourselves. Let them know your identity through how you dress. Let them know who you are, ladies, how you dress. Let them know how you are, gentlemen, in how you dress. Let them see the countenance and the glory of God in your life. There's a list of things. I told you I wouldn't start today. That we're going to go through. 
as we come together again. But it's important for us, ladies and gentlemen, if I can say anything to you this morning before we dismiss. Somebody get the children ready, if you would, please. Duke, if you would, get everybody ready. We're going to be praying for them. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I don't know what, what your expectations are of coming to church. But I know what mine are. And I'm trying to impress that same desire in all of us. I pray one day all of us will walk in expecting a miracle. Coming with our hearts full of God. And I understand we all go through difficulties and situations. We come in differently every Sunday morning. That's understandable. But because we go through situations during the week, it should not be the factor that decides whether we come in expectant of God or not. As a matter of fact, the reason you come to church when you've had a bad week is because you expect God to move something in your life. Because we're expectant of him. We've had some tremendously powerful services here at Rock of Ages. And I've noticed that every time we don't have to do a thing at this altar. All this is, all this is just frosting. This is just little seasoning that God allows you to have. But when the glory comes down, it's not because the worship team is so good. It's because the church is ready. Let me give you some responsibility. If it's a dead church today, guess why? You're too many for me. It's too much responsibility for me. I'm alive in Jesus, man. The rest is your problem. That was a dead service, really. Stinking pastor. No, sorry. Look in the mirror, my friend. You'll, you'll see a morgue. That's why. You want a live service? Come and get alive in Jesus. You won't need anybody up here. You won't need me to scream at your heart. You don't need me to share anything. When the church is ready, we can come and have church. Hallelujah. When you need a miracle, you don't need any laying hands of anybody. We do that because the Bible tells us that we should in times of need. But I promise you that all you need is a touch of Christ. We've had people walk into the sanctuary, and the moment they walked in, the Lord touched them and healed them at the door. Had nothing to do with me. Nothing I could glory in. Well, I laid hands upon him, and hallelujah, and there you go. They fell on the ground slain. Thank you, Pastor Soto. Thank you, nothing. I'm not that popular. And I have nothing within me other than Christ to offer you. And whatever happens in your life and how God delivers you is all his glory and all his praise. All his praise.